power, our creator, our sustainer, God, who through the work of Jesus Christ, his son, offers grace and forgiveness and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the strength to get through one day at a time. Amen? That describes who we are. And if that fits you, we're glad you're here. One of the other things that we do is that we hold up our Bibles and we have a little uh, mantra, I guess we say. And I uh, hope if you'll want to join us, we'd be glad to have you do that. I'm a child of God. And I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. So Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. Give a high five, pound your neighbor, whatever feels comfortable doing over there. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to look there in just a few minutes. We finish up our series on life today. We've talked about how can I be sure of God's direction? How can I forgive others, forgive myself? Does praying really do any good? What does God expect of me as a man, as a woman? Why is it so hard to do the right thing? We talked about last week. I enjoyed the kids up front, those of you that were here. <laughs> and then today we want to talk about and finish our series on why isn't life fair? All of these messages are online on our website, and uh, just click on the online features, and it says, listen to the sermon, and you can pick it out there and, and take a listen. I want to thank Jeff and uh, John. Every week, they're back at the soundboard and, and running the PowerPoints and recording the service, and I appreciate these guys uh, doing that every week, and so uh, uh, be sure and just give them a pat on the back, because it's a, one of those thankless jobs. Nobody really thinks about all that, but when it happens, it happens, and it's great, and we're grateful for that, all right? You ever notice some things in life just don't make sense? Any of you ever noticed that? For instance, I was in Walmart the other day, 32 checkout lines, and there's only two that are open. And there's at least 9,500 people waiting to check out, and doesn't make any sense, does it? Our young people went to Six Flags last weekend, and uh, we had two strappers, an 18, 19-year-old strapping kids down there at Six Flags who were scared spitless when they got off of a couple of those roller coaster rides, and it just doesn't make sense. When five-year-olds can come off going, do it again, and the, and the big boys are coming off, I ain't never going on it again. <laughs> so, just doesn't make sense, does it? And as I was thinking about this, I, I just, you know, as cool as I am, I, I, I realized that I just don't, it just, just doesn't make sense and I don't understand how it happens. But I was riding down the road the other day and, and, I, and the song comes on and I start singing, Oh, Mandy. And I'm thinking, I lost Barry Manilow. What am I liking Barry Manilow music for? You ever catch yourself singing songs that you think, why do I like that stuff? But uh, here we go. I'm showing my age, I guess. But it doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, the majority of people in this room today would believe, and I think you would concur with me, that life itself at times really doesn't make sense. Uh, I don't really have to do a survey, but if I did, I'm sure you would concur. Most of, of us believe that life is different, life is crazy, and, it, and most of the time, life just isn't fair. Life just isn't fair. And I believe you're right. There are times when you define things that happen in life and you can, con you can conclude that they're really not fair. 
Our purpose this morning is not to point out the obvious. I'm not going to try to convince you or, or try to change and persuade you that something has true when it may not be true because truly life is not fair. Our purpose this morning is to discover why. After, uh, after all, you'd, you'd think that it would be uh, fair. If you're a Christian, especially, life should be much more fair. But there's times when it appears it isn't. I mean, if God is really God and if He's good like we're told in the Bible, if He has control of everything, then why doesn't He make sure life is fair? And tell me if you think like I do, at least on this subject, doesn't it make sense to you that if life were fair, drug dealers, pimps, wife beaters, child pornographers, cheaters, liars, thieves, people who are cruel to animals and people who exploit women like Hugh Hefner and Larry Flint would be sick, lonely and poor. Wouldn't that be true? But the reverse is obvious because those guys are filthy rich and often healthy beyond their years. But in addition to that, it doesn't really make sense to me that people like missionaries and people who work with homeless, the homeless and homeless shelters and police officers and firefighters and soldiers, uh, those who are always honest and loyal and people who are nice to dogs, and especially preachers, would always be healthy and wealthy. It makes sense to me, but it just doesn't work that way. There's an old adage, nice guys finish last, and it does seem to apply, and the question is why? Well, let me read this story with you out of Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon, and again at 3 o'clock he did the same thing. And at 5 o'clock that afternoon he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. And the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. And when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those, those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. And when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Verse 12, those people who worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in that scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Do you be, should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those of, who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. And every time I read that story, I just, I just get the sense of this is no fair. This is no fair. Those guys that worked the longest, they didn't get a fair shake. They deserved more. I think they deserved a lot more. But the landowner is a jerk. That's what I used to think when I'd read this story. But before we get really too crazy about it and get caught up in the story, let's, let's capture, capture the context of what Jesus was trying to say. Just before he tells this story, a wealthy young man had come to him and asked him what good thing he must do 
to gain eternal life. Jesus advised the young man to obey the commandments, which this young man looked back at him and said, Darty done that. Is there anything else? And you get the sense that this young man had been watching and he had been listening to Jesus for some time. And he knows that this guy, Jesus, is different. And that if Jesus says that there's something else he should do, then the boy, he's going to go out and he's going to be sure and give it a, a very hefty consideration. Well, at that point, Jesus drops a bomb on him and he says, when he encounters, uh, and this is when the, this encounter with Jesus gets very interesting, it's really a defining moment in the relationship. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 21, he says, if you want to be perfect, Jesus says, then you go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Was as you read that story, and at that point, this it says that the young man went away sad because he had all this stuff. He had all these blessings, these material things in his mind. These blessings were in his mind. And, and the presumption in this story is that he had so much stuff, he just couldn't get rid of it. He couldn't part with it. I think the main reason the young man walked away was that Jesus' request didn't seem fair. I mean, after all, he had earned what he had. He had earned it. Nobody gave it to him. Or at the least, he may have inherited it. But it was his. It was, it was from within his family. And, and, and who was this Jesus to ask him to give it to the poor people? I mean, they're just probably lazy anyway. He was comfortable. Why would he need to give it away? But as after the guy walked away, Jesus noticed that, and, and he said that it's hard for a rich people to be a part of the kingdom of God. And this was radical teaching. Radical teaching because the disciples most likely believed the common thinking of their society, which was wealth, was an indicator of God's blessing. Not too unlike what you might hear in our culture today. But when you do it wrong, wealth in and of itself is not wrong. It's what you do with that wealth that potentially can be wrong. But you hear preachers today telling you that God wants you to prosper. God wants you to be wealthy. And my concern with that is that I'm, I'm not sure from the book of Matthew through Revelation that you can show me anybody who became wealthy and prosperous with material things who also had a sold-out heart for God. Jesus himself, if that theory were true, Jesus himself should have been the wealthiest man that ever walked the earth. Amen? Nobody more sold out than Jesus to God. And yet he said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So if God had already blessed some of these folks, how could they not already be a part of that kingdom? And then Simon Peter, a follower of Jesus, one of his closest friends, he asks a very penetrating question in Matthew 19, 27. Peter says, look, we have left everything and followed you. Are you ready? So what will there be for us? Does that not sound like us? You want me to come to your little church, preacher? What's it? What kind of church you got there? Have you got a full-blown program? Have you got a program that covers every age group in the, in the universe? Have you got a dynamic we worship, children's worship, 
youth program? Do you have do you have these things? Do you have the do you have the dynamic youth minister? Uh, you know, the, the Pied Piper of youth ministry. Don't do you have him? Because if you don't have him, then then I'm really going to keep looking because there's got to be something better out there because it's 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 just not what I need. It's not going to fit my family's needs. Well, do you have dynamic worship? Do you have do you have an orchestra? Do you have band? Do you have do you have it all? Do you have you got everything? Do you have how many how many adult Sunday school classes do you have, preacher? Do you have more than one offering for Sunday? Can we have multiple choice on our class offerings? Because if you don't have those, you know, I, I, it's just probably not for me. How long, how long do you preach, preacher? I mean, if you're not a 17-minute guy, that's just too much for me. If you're going to make me sit for a half hour, oh my gosh. You're crazy. Half hour. You can't say it in 10 to 15 minutes. Forget it. Peter. He's really saying, since we've given up everything to follow you, what's in it for us? And it's in response to that question that Jesus tells the story. And on the surface, it just seems so unfair. So why isn't life fair? I'll give you three quick reasons. Number one, we strongly define, we, we, we wrongly, I should say, wrongly define what fair is. Perhaps our problem is that we misdefine this idea of fair. Because how we define what is and isn't fair is really important. After all, what really is fair? And a more important question is, do we really want fairness? Do we really want fairness? Remember, the apostles would pray to Jesus for hell and hellfire and brimstone to come down from heaven. And Jesus would say to them what? Be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. Don't you find it interesting that the guys who had worked about 10 hours grumbled against the landowner? Well, I mean, you know, I, I would have done it too. I would have grumbled. If I got paid the same for my 10 hours of work as a guy who just put in a stinking hour, you bet I'd grumble. There's nothing fair about that. Some complaints, on the other hand, aren't so justified. It's like the wife who had a very hard-to-please husband it seemed that the fellow was most cantankerous at breakfast. She just couldn't seem to do anything right. If she poached his eggs, he wanted them scrambled. If she scrambled his eggs, he wanted them poached. So one day she, went, she came up with a solution. She poached one and scrambled the other. And that way she figured he was bound to be pleased. She placed the plate before him and he quickly snorted. You scrambled the wrong one. Now think about the grumbler in our story just for a second, Matthew 20. Was his complaint really justified? I mean, after all, the man had hired him and paid him the agreed-upon wage. In fact, the act of hiring the man in the first place was an act of grace by the landowner because it wasn't as if this day laborer had a steady job. Did you notice in our text that the landowner had a foreman? Now, that was the guy who had the steady job. This guy was a day laborer looking for work, and he was fortunate to get hired. In our society, we have expressions like, I want my fair share. 
I mean, we hear kids all the time saying, no fair, no fair. Well, you need to, you need to, you need to get a job, and you need to, well, it's not fair. Susie doesn't have a job. Well, her mom and dad are wealthy beyond wealth. They've got more money than Carter has liver pills. Well, that doesn't matter. That's not fair. I should have my car. I'm 16. I should get my new car. At 16, go down to the parking lot at, at Jinx High School and see all the new cars that drive in. They drive in newer cars than you and I'll ever have. And then they come home, your kids come home, and they want the same thing from you. Why don't you give it to them? Give it, give it, give it, give it. I want the Xbox. You've got an Xbox. No, I want the Xbox 360. Then I want the Xbox 9459. <laughs> well, you've got a big screen TV. That's old school. I want plasma. I want it on the wall. You got it? Wine and wine and wine and wine. Life's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. I want mine. I don't care if anybody doesn't get theirs. I want mine. It's funny, but things really only seem unfair when it's going against us. If things are going for us, then all of a sudden fairness never enters our mind. It was fun watching players. They were struggling Friday night. Jinx football team, they were struggling first half. And the coach asked one of the players, one of the key players, said, man, what's going on? I said, oh, my knee hurts. Well, why are you just telling me now that your knee hurts? Has it been hurting the whole time? Uh-huh. Well, why are you telling me now? But having a bad day is having a bad day. Don't sit there and start finding excuses why you're having a bad day. If your knee's hurting, get out of the game. Makes sense, huh? Oh, mercy. If I receive an inheritance from a long-lost uncle or if I get a bonus or if something wonderful falls into my lap, that seems perfectly fine. You ever notice people, you know, the, the recent death of Anna Nicole Smith, you ever, you ever wonder about people like her? I mean, she marries this old guy. He dies a short time after they're married and she, in, she inherits this incredible wealth. Goes on to have her own show, which was pathetic. I mean, her... Her whole life was her whole life that she lived was pathetic, if you think about it. Drugs and alcohol and just unbelievable. But she had what the world claims is success. You know, I look at her and I think, man, you know, I don't how attractive was she? It's in the eye of the beholder, of course. But my goodness, my goodness, life just doesn't seem fair. Willie Nelson. I stubbed my toe and sang out a, a song better than a Willie does. I mean he did he doesn't really have a voice that's that wonderful, but man, he's a wealthy guy for singing a song. There's times when people tell me how wonderful a preacher you sing so good. And I sit there and I go, yeah, I know. And then God says, shut up. You can't sing unless I give you the gift, so shut up. And he's right. I had the chance to really show how great I was. Stood on the stage at the Mo Bandy Theater in Branson, Missouri. Packed house, 900 people. Everything's going good till it was my turn to sing. I walked out, got center stage. They turned the lights out and the spotlight on, and you see nobody. I'm going, where'd they go? And they're all right there. And I stood there, and I thought, this is not for me. Now, some people thrive in that environment, but not me. Wow. 
And if my song blesses you, then it's blessed me. I don't really care whether I'm on a national scale. I could care less. I just want to know that Jesus somehow blesses you with what happened in my life. Barbara Walters did a story on gender roles in Kuwait several years ago. She noted that women customarily walked 10 feet behind their husbands. She returned to Kuwait after that first Gulf War and observed that the men now walk several yards behind their wives. Well, she was all excited, and she approached one of the women for an explanation. This is marvelous, she said. What enabled women to hear to achieve this reversal of roles? To which the Kuwaiti woman solemnly replied to her, landmines. There are people who live in garbage dumps who build their houses out of cardboard boxes just to have a place to sleep and enough food to eat. And here we live in nice houses. We have plenty of food every day. This doesn't seem fair either, does it? Jesus said, Your Father in heaven causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We have a tendency to think short range, immediate gratification. God, however, is very long range. He is working on a long-range plan for each of us. Speaking of plans, did you hear about the old farmer whose mule had finally died of old age just before spring planting? The farmer made a trip to town to buy another mule. His $125 didn't buy much, but he was satisfied with his purchase. He made arrangements to return the next day with a horse trailer to pick up the mule, and the dealer agreed to keep it overnight for him. Early the next day, the old man returned. Jim, the mule dealer, said... That old mule died last night, and I'm really sorry to have to tell you this. I know you were counting on it for your spring garden. The dealer offered Jim his money back, but Jim said a deal was a deal, loaded the mule on his truck, and he left. A couple of weeks later, the mule dealer happened to drive by Jim's place and was astonished to see Jim working his garden on a new $4,000 garden tractor. Honking his horn, he called Jim over and he asked him how in the world he had managed to buy a tractor when he, not too long ago, all he had was $125 that he had spent on the mule that died. Well, Jim explained, after leaving with the mule, I had this idea. So I stopped off at the local print shop and I had $2,002 raffle tickets printed up. Grand prize, gardening equipment. I sold all the raffle tickets to the people around town. Yeah, but... Where did you get the gardening equipment? Well, I got it from you, the farmer said. No, I mean the equipment that you had as the raffle prize. I got it from you. Well, Jim, all you got from me was a dead mule, I know. That's what I raffled off. I just called the dead mule gardening equipment. Well, man, Jim, you raffled off a dead mule. I'll bet that really made a lot of people mad when they found out about it. Well, no, not really. The only one that really got ticked off was the winner, and I gave him double his money back. Well, that's a good plan, wasn't it? Good plan. God's plan isn't quite so deceptive. What we know of God's plan is that they are based on God's perfect knowledge and that they are going to be fulfilled. In Psalm 33, 11, it says, The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of His heart through all generations. We should basically understand that verse to mean that God knows what He's doing. He's in control. When it's out of control in your life, realize it's in control in the hands of God. Instead of grumbling about too much work, maybe it's time we became thankful for a job. Instead of grumbling about how having to take the kids to ball practices, maybe it's time that we become thankful that our kids are healthy enough to play sports. Instead of grumbling about our health, maybe it's time we become thankful 
to be alive. I think one of the most touching things that I watch our football team and have the privilege to watch them be involved in is every year they have Special Olympics night. And the Special Olympians can pick what football player gets to introduce them at the dinner. They give them gifts. They bring them up in the front. Each of the players reads off a information about this particular person, young lady or young man. And I'm telling you, there are tears in my eyes every year when I watch it. Because these kids are so alive. These Special Olympians are so alive. They will never, ever get to play football. They will never, ever get to play the sports like we know them. But they're out there. They're out there competing and trying. They're out there competing and trying. And it's just such a joy to watch our big old football players humble themselves for a brief moment and lift up somebody less fortunate than them. That's what it's about, folks. It's what it should be about. Because, you see, life isn't fair. And if we're honest, we probably fall into the category of guys who were hired late and paid well. Almost all of us have gotten much more than we absolutely deserve. Another reason why life isn't fair is that we often overstate our troubles. You think you've got it bad? Listen to this true story. I found it. I found it uh, this week. You, you won't believe it. There was a henpecked German husband who chose to do time in jail for an interesting reason. The 47-year-old man faced a moderate fine for parking violations or 10 days in jail if he didn't pay up. Police in town said they were stunned when the man rang up and asked them to come pick him up from his home. I quote, he said he couldn't stand the constant bickering at home with his wife and was looking forward to a bit of peace and quiet in jail. <laughs> You've heard that motto, no pain, no gain. I myself have not really experienced that very often, about no pain, no gain. I don't get to the gym that often. I'm sure that surprised some of you. And I don't particularly like that motto, but it does seem to work in life. There are many times when God allows trouble into our lives to strengthen us, to help us, to guide us, to direct us. In fact, I want to look at a couple of verses. First Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. These trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God often builds our character through trials, through times when life doesn't seem fair. Helen Keller, who at the age of 19 months lost both her sight and hearing, she once said, character cannot be developed in, each, in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. There was never a person in history that had more right to complain than Jesus Christ. He never did anything wrong. He loved and helped people all the time, and yet He was executed in a most horrific way. But He's our example. Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him, verse 3 says, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What really verse 3 says in a nutshell is no pain, no gain. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in, in me you may have peace. 
You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Jesus does not leave us hanging. I think my encouragement for you today is to begin to look at things with a different perspective. Which brings me to the third reason why life isn't fair. Is that we miss the big picture. We miss the big picture. And by that I mean we have a tendency to personalize everything that happens. If it rains on our birthday, we think God's, done, God's, God's doing something to us. That, that we're somehow we've done something bad and God's punishing us. We never consider that there are hundreds of people, perhaps thousands of people, farmers in, in particular, who could use that rain. I'm sure that the rain that we've had and the cooler weather we've had, those in Southern California would have loved to have seen. A great question to ask when life doesn't seem to be going our way is how important is this thing that I'm complaining about right now? How important is it right now and how important is it going to be in a year, in five years, in a million years? God sees the bigger picture. Jeff, put that picture up. I want you all to look at this picture. It's an awesome picture, isn't it? There's so many things that you can see in this picture. But I would have you consider this verse as we look at this picture and our worship team comes to help me close. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, it says, We don't see, yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly, just as He knows us. When I look at that picture, I see God all over that picture. I see Him in the mountains. I see Him on the beach. I see Him in the ocean. I see Him in the green that's growing on the mountains. Because you see, God sees everything. God knows everything. God sees the bigger picture. And what's important for us to understand is that God loves you. And God loves me. And God cares deeply about our relationship with Him. Father, we ask You this morning as we approach our time of invitation, and we do it every week, just as we do communion every week, we we want to give people an opportunity to connect with you. And so, Father, communion helps us remember those of us that have given our hearts to you. We remember why we take communion, and that's because your son Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And it's just wonderful to take a brief moment in, in pause on a Sunday morning to just remember that. And, Father, it's also very important that we make some decisions every time we hear the Word of God shared. Because we're going to make a decision one way or the other. And Father, I pray this morning that those that have listened will understand that there are times when life truly is not fair. But it really doesn't matter. Because what matters is Jesus came and He died on the cross for my sins and for their sins. And if we will but accept that, then we have the hope of eternal life. And beyond the faith that it takes to understand that, then we connect with His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And 
Father, we pray today that if there's anybody in this room that maybe strayed a bit, they might consider getting reconnected to you. Father, we love you, we praise you, and would you move among us this very moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, might have a decision to make, would you, as we stand and sing Dan Lee's in our song. Search.